So I'll be reading First uh, John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Children, it is the last hour. Just as you heard that the anti-Messiah is coming, even now many, many anti-Messiahs have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They left us, but they didn't really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they left us, so it became clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? This one is the anti-Messiah, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. The one who acknowledges the Son also has the Father. As for you, let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will continue to live in the Son and in the Father. Now this is the promise that he himself has promised us, eternal life. I've written you these things about those who are trying to mislead you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true and not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, children, abide in him so that when he appears, he will have confidence and we will have confidence and not be ashamed in his presence at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. I feel somewhat Colorado in again. It's good to come back and uh, see that God has been at work in my absence. You know, what a concept. The truth is, it's, it's all about the Lord, isn't it? Um, I thank you for your prayers. The conference um, that I attended was a national conference of the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, um, which is an umbrella, organizations, uh, umbrella organization that um, provides fellowship and some degree of accountability for Messianic Jewish congregations such as Yeshua Tzion, although we're not officially members. Um, it was uh, wonderful, great fellowship, uh, wonderful degree of unity, uh, not something that is to be taken for granted. Uh, as the saying goes, you have two Jews, you have three opinions, etc. And... Uh, this is true not just of the Messianic Jewish community, but of the body of Messiah as, as a whole. Uh, unity is not something that can be taken for granted. There's a lot of disunity. And we have prayed for years and years and years, and we continue to pray for God to bring people together so that despite differences of opinion, we come together and we are focused on the vision that the Lord has given us, first of all, the Messiah Yeshua, and second of all, our commitment to see the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, 
restored and through the people of Israel, all of mankind. And so we have folks who are who come from a range of opinions, as we do at Yeshua Tzion. And we have prayed for that, and it was good to see wonderful fellowship. I had the opportunity to share uh, a teaching that I've given over a number of years um, about the redemption that is available for the wounds of the Holocaust. Uh, as, you, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago before I left, that is something that is very personal because my father was a Holocaust survivor. And it's also a passion that I have deep, that, that I hold deeply um, for a couple of reasons. One is that in our community, the Messianic Jewish community, there's not sufficient discussion and um, addressing of the fact that there are wounds. And so unless you do that, you cannot present yourself to the Lord and say, God, I need healing. And that's true, obviously, not just of the wounds of the Holocaust, but it is true for all of us because the Holocaust is uh, a people's exhibit A of post-traumatic stress disorder which is shared across a wide section of the population here in the United States and worldwide. And so in a very basic sense, this is the message of the good news of Yeshua, the fact that there's brokenness, but that he is able to heal. And so I uh, had the opportunity to share that with a fellow second generation of a survivor from Germany who is uh, teaching at UCLA and pursuing a PhD in Holocaust studies, and yet he has a hard time grasping the reality of the sovereignty of God. How could God allow this? And this fellow is a believer. So I was able to share with him, and it's a, a blessing. Um, and, and again, this is something that I, I see from time to time as folks come into Yeshua Tzion is stories of brokenness of one degree or another, particularly brokenness and woundedness that we have experienced, uh, especially among fellow believers. And it grieves me deeply. I deal with reality. I know it happens. But what grieves me is the fact that oftentimes people are not willing to take ownership of it and say, yes, I have the, those wounds, those areas of brokenness, and without that, there's no understanding that God wants to come. And the Lord often will come anyways, but he prefers for us to say, Lord, you're welcome to come. Please come into all these broken areas in my life and bring cleansing because there's junk there, you know. He opens the closet and there's skeletons and roly-polies and cockroaches. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so we learn to invite the Lord to come and do house cleaning and bring about uh, the necessary healing. And remember that without that, our ability to be filled with the presence of God, to be filled 
with the Spirit of God is very much limited. It's hindered because if we're filled with brokenness and junk, then our ability to be filled with God and to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit is very much limited. So this is a desire for us here at Yeshua Tzion, has been from the very beginning. We have, we have had the desire to see Yeshua Tzion be a place of healing, shalom, health, and wholeness. And obviously there are different opinions about that. Uh, unfortunately, inner healing has got some bad press because people have been foolish. Uh, they've had the attitude that says, I have experienced healing, therefore you have to experience healing the same way I do. And unless you follow the same path that I do, there's something wrong with you. And so when I knew that when we decided to take on Iron Glory of Brower as one of the ministries that we support, that there would be some folks kind of wiggling and squirming because they, they would have all kinds of notions of heebie-jeebie, uh, inner healing, bizarreness. Uh, we have known these guys for over 25 years. We wouldn't have asked them to come and be part of our extended family unless we felt that we knew them and can trust in their integrity. Um, but if you're here and inner healing is a tough sell for you because of negative experiences you've had elsewhere, let me just urge you to be open not to it, the inner healing, but to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to receive the fullness of healing and redemption you have for me. Now, you may not agree with the wording and the process, the, the methodology, and so on and so forth. I don't. But please do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Be receptive to the fullness that God has for you and welcome him to come and do his best in your life. Be willing to be open and transparent. This is part of the message we've been sharing from, from 1 John for the last few weeks because the Word of God says, God is light, in Him there's no darkness, and if we walk with the light as He, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, our commitment to be men and women of integrity and transparency means that we are released and enabled to have closer connection and fellowship with one another in our mishpacha here. So the extent to which you're willing to do that is the extent to which you will receive God's blessing personally and also God's blessing in your relationship with one another here in the mishpacha. And this is particularly urgent during the times that we live in. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the message, but it doesn't take a nuclear physicist, and we have one of those here. Uh, I won't embarrass you, Joanne. But it doesn't take a, a genius to understand that the world we live in is Mishugi. It's sliding rapidly downward, right? 
And I'm not being negative. I'm, uh, it, it's been said that uh, Jewish people are eternal optimists because we know that difficult times are always coming ahead. So again, um, doesn't take much to, to realize um, that we're living in difficult times. And yet, part of the short-sightedness, the myopia on our part, is our inclination to say things are bad, things will get worse, which they may. However, reality is that there's nothing new under the sun. And if you're a student of history, you understand that the people of God have gone through difficult times for generations and centuries and millennia. I mentioned some of that. Rabbi David and I mentioned some of that uh, as we've been going through First John, that the readers or, or the flock, the congregation to, to whom John is, is writing, were under severe pressure. In fact, it was a one-two punch. First of all, it was a massive amount of false teachers who were coming down the pike and saying, we've got the truth. And if you want to have the true knowledge, the gnosis, then you need to listen to us. And they, of course, minimized who Yeshua is. And we talked about the heresies, the couple of heresies that basically had to do with denying the fact that Yeshua came in God incarnate in human form. And so John devotes a great deal of time to that. In chapter 1 he says, we were there from the very beginning. We saw, we touched, we heard. So that was part of the issue. And at the same time there was empire-wide persecution. Um, the emperor, there's some debate exactly on what took place, but apparently the emperor Domitian decided to call himself God, you know, Lord God. And so people were expected to give the, the kind of um, obedience. And the Romans were big on order. You know, everything had to be in order. And so they saw the believers as being out of order because the Romans had all these gods and the believers, they considered the believers to be atheists because they believed in only one God. So the believers were under a great deal of persecution and so John is saying to them, not focus on the crazy emperor uh, Domitian, and he's coming to get you, and he, you need to go to the hills, and he's going to get every one of you, like the message you hear today from some folks on Facebook, you know, government is coming to get you. He doesn't emphasize that. What he talks about over and over and over and over again is who the Lord is, and the fact that we need to be grounded in who he is, so that we don't get banged away and, and we don't get sucked in by all kinds of false teaching and craziness and fear. See, that's the, the most pernicious thing. It's the element of fear that paralyzes us because we can either 
trust God and fear God or we can fear people and circumstances. And part of what he's saying, don't you love it? He, he's saying, in fact, things will get worse. Chapter 2, verse 18, he puts it this way. Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the anti-Messiah, this is the messianically, politically correct terminology here, is coming then. Now, many anti-Messiahs have come. This is how we know this is the last hour. Now, you hear folks talking about the end times and, and how that the anti-Messiah will be revealed. And, you know, you live long enough, you hear all kinds of theories. I've heard all kinds of theories about who this guy is going to be and when he is supposed to come. And yet, what you see is that in, in Scripture, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, you don't have a great deal of emphasis on on who the anti-Messiah is going to be. You have basically a few brush strokes to kind of give you a basic idea that that's what's coming. And furthermore, what John is saying is it isn't just the one evil incarnate person that Revelation talks about and describes as the beast, but there are many anti-Messiahs. In fact, that spirit of rejection of who Yeshua is has been driving and mobilizing the society since the first century. And if anything, it is getting stronger even more than it had been before. And so John talks about it and he explains that there is one basic mark that you can spot the spirit of the anti-Messiah. And that simply is, in, in chapter 4, verse 2, every spirit that does not acknowledge that Yeshua is from God is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. Real simple. Who is Yeshua? Is he the Son of God who has come and become incarnate in, in, in human flesh or not? And part of the picture is that uh, John and also to a greater extent Paul in Second Thessalonians talks a little bit about his M.O., his manner of operation. Uh, let me read to you a couple of statements from Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll, I'll skip a little bit. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy saying that the day of the Lord has already come. This is verse 1. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. As Michael mentioned earlier, that deception is a key element of the working of the evil one, Satan, Confusing people, getting folks distracted, diverted from God's plan. Why? Verse 4, this is Second Thessalonians uh, 2, 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over anything that is called God or it is worship. In verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. 
displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So it's basically a commitment to oppose anything that is of God. And so you can take the approach that says, I have to have a PhD in anti-missiology. I need to learn anything that there is put out there on the internet uh, about the end times, the anti-Messiah, etc., etc., in which case I have no doubt that I'll need to come visit you in the nut house. Or I could be there myself. And furthermore, that's really not God's plan. God's plan is for us to learn to focus on the real thing because when we do, we'll be able to spot the counterfeit. Very much like the um, agents of the treasury that are given the bill, $1 bill, $5 bill, and told to study it in great depth so that they can easily spot the counterfeits. And that's what we're called to do, is to be very much aware of the real thing, and then we'll be able to spot the counterfeit. So John, writing to people who are beleaguered, who are under the gun, who are oppressed, to some extent confused, wants to encourage them to be strong in God and be able not just to hang in there, but to press forward. Remember Yeshua's comments to Peter. And I'll give you the keys and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Now we usually interpret that to mean a defensive posture. You know, we are hiding behind gates and all kinds of stuff is coming at us and somehow God will see to it that we're not overrun and overwhelmed. That's really not what Yeshua meant. The gates of the city were the first point where an invading army would come. So when Yeshua is saying that the gates will not prevail against us, who are his followers, he is saying not defensive but offensive posture. Meaning that we are, because we are secure in who the Lord is, we are grounded in him, we are growing in him, that we'll press forward so that obstacles that are in our path would have to yield. Do you, do, do you hear me? We are on the side of the great bulldozer. That's God Almighty. And so part of what John is wanting to say to these folks is you've got to be confident in who you are as sons and daughters of God. And this is something that is repeated throughout Scripture. A um, couple of statements in, in the book of Hebrews. 13, verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And also earlier in Hebrews, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The Greek word there has the sense of boldness, confidence, often under intimidating circumstances. Does life get difficult? 
Yes. Do we feel under the gun? Yes. Is the world going mashugu? Yes. However, that's when God wants to do his greatest work, folks. And we can either have holy chutzpah and say, yeah, God, we agree with you. Or we can retreat into our circle of wagons in order to try and protect ourselves, which is utterly foolish because the only one who can really protect us is God. And part of the confidence that John states here is this word anointing. And I wanted to park on this word anointing because he mentions it four times um, in, in just a few verses. Beginning verse 20. Again, 1 John 2.20. But you have anointing from the, Holy, from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Verse uh, 27, as for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. In other words, it hasn't blown away, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, is, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, Anointing, Greek word is charisma, related to charisma, that obviously refers to Yeshua. He was anointed by the Spirit of God at his immersion. And so the anointing, first of all, has to do with you and I becoming more and more like clones of Yeshua. I know that may be a little bizarre, but remember I'm a Trekkie. The anointing, then, is simple. So I first of all wanted to talk about what, what John is saying and then talk about what he is not saying. What he is saying is because of the anointing, the presence of God, the, the empowering of the Spirit of God, we have a gut sense of what is true and what is false. The Spirit of God enables us to sniff out the counterfeit. Because to use another metaphor, we've been given a radar. So because of that, we have a crucial confidence that despite the multitude of whacked out crazy teachings out there, God is able to keep us online and keep us from being deceived as we determine to, to stick close to him. We know that the Lord is with us. He is able to empower us and to keep us, as Jude puts it, he is able to keep us from falling. I mean, that I don't know about you folks, that helps me stay relatively sane. And to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless. God has the power to hold on to us so that we don't go into all kinds of funky directions, which as sheep we're quite capable of doing. So what John is saying about the anointing is that it enables us to be able to sift out 
and reject the counterfeit. What John is not saying is that you and I don't need teaching. Remember, folks, at this point in history, John has been teaching and preaching for over 60 years. So he would not say, oh, by the way, everything I'm saying to you is, is nonsense. Since you have the anointing, you don't need anyone to, to, to teach you. Therefore, whatever it is I'm saying, just ignore. No, obviously he's not saying that. Nor is he saying that those who have been called and, and gifted by the Spirit of God to teach have the anointing and need to be listened to carefully because God gives us authority, folks. And authority is precious. Authority means the power that's, that is delegated by God to accomplish certain things. So because people take what John is saying here and they twist it, you have all kinds of bizarre stuff out there because people are refusing to be accountable. They say, see, it says you don't need to be taught, therefore I'm just going to go out, hang my shingle, and peddle all kinds of stuff on the internet, YouTube, etc., etc. And because they're cute and clever, they suck all kinds of pe people who are attracted by that. That, by the way, is the spirit of the age in which we live in. The spirit of the age in which we live in says there is no such thing as truth. It's all relative. What's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you, etc. Ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And believers often have bought into that. John is not connecting with that to any extent whatsoever. Again, the positive that he is saying is because you have the anointing, the empowering from the Spirit of God. He gives you the ability to sniff things out and say, this is, this is not of God. That's not what the Word of God is saying. I don't buy that. And yes, those who peddle falsehoods, who, who teach falsehoods, will have to give an account to God, and, and I, I have compassion on them, because it's a sobering responsibility, but everybody who listens to the false teachers also is going to be held accountable to God, because we are, we are required to sniff things out, to test things, since we do have the anointing. So this is a, a major way in how we are to address the spirit of the anti-Messiah that opposes God, that is a counterfeit to what God wants to do. Then another aspect that John refers to is the need to persevere. Again, not a very American thing because we are short attention span, you know. Uh, this is good now, but... Five minutes from now, it's not going to be so good. I'm going to check something out. The word remain or hang in there or abide is mentioned a whole bunch of times here in, in this chapter and also in the Gospel of John. Let me just rattle these things. Chapter 2, verse 24 here. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and the Father. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. 
Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you have received remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you again. Um, verse 28, now dear children, continue in him. In fact, what John is saying is that the proof is in the pudding. The fact that you and I are able to persevere and hang in there is proof of the fact that our faith is real and legitimate. Okay, why? Because that, re re that refers to faithfulness. And one of the basic characteristics of who God is is that he is faithful. Paul puts it this way, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is who God is, and if you and I are his kids, we too we learn what faithfulness and perseverance is about. That will be proof, evident proof of the fact that, that the Spirit of God is really working in us to bring about maturation and to make us more like Yeshua because he persevered. He persevered through all the things that came his way. Persevering in, in the truth, persevering in our commitment to trust God in practical faith. That, by the way, is what John refers to in Revelation when he speaks about, when Yeshua speaks about overcoming. If, as you read Revelation and, and you see the seven letters to the congregation, you'll see in each one of those, regardless of circumstances, over and over and over and over and over again, what Yeshua says to each of the congregations, yeah, you're going through this, yeah, you're going through that, yeah, you're going through this. However, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, regardless of circumstances, God demands that you and I learn to be overcomers. And a major component of that means that we learn to persevere. Which is something that really goes against the grain for us. Because what is normal for us is if it feels uncomfortable, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And in 26 years of ministry, I've seen this over and over and over and over again. And it breaks my heart, folks. Not because we need more people in Yeshua Tzion. Yes, we do. It breaks my heart because I know each one of those who bailed out instead of persevering, they lost on God's blessing. They missed out on God's blessing. And yes, sometimes God will say, okay, your time here is done. Move on. What he doesn't say is it feels uncomfortable. You have the right to bug out. Basic proof of the fact that we are God's kids is that we learn to persevere. Why? Because he perseveres with us. And as I've mentioned from time to time, folks, there were all kinds of circumstances when I wanted to quit so badly I could taste it. And I didn't, not because I'm this, that, and the other, but because God persevered. 
That's the challenge that the Lord gives us, especially during this season, during this difficult, whacked-out season. And it is distressing, folks. Um, I was gone, and there were two major... Uh, I, I was gone a, less than a week, and there were two major terrorist attacks. And then there was one last night in Munich. An 18-year-old went out with a gun. This is a, a German-Iranian. Went out to a shopping mall and shot up nine people and then, then got killed himself. And I read an article that basically described the past six weeks as six weeks from hell. Let me read to you a couple of statements, not to depress you, but there's a point to be made here. Orlando, Istanbul, Dallas, Nice, and now again Baton Rouge and Munich, etc., um, we have been buffeted by images of bloodshed. The scenes of violence are often far away and disconnected from one another, but all too often the victims remind us of ourselves because we know how fragile we are. The images have begun to exact a collective toll of exhaustion and anxiety. The wife, the, the, the sister-in-law of one of the policemen who were shot in Louisiana said, the world is crazy. We all need peace. And I can go on and on and read more of this. But as I was reflecting on that, I, I, what, what hit me was a basic reality that we have a massive opportunity to be light and darkness to people who are confused and hurting and have no answers. And no, we're not going to stand up and, and, and give easy, simple platitudes of, of um, what we think the answers are. And I just want to encourage you as you listen to the um, political wise guys and, and the experts and, and, and the politicians and so on and so forth, Regardless of who you, you choose, do not put your faith in man. Regardless of the great and glorious and grand statements that they make that sometimes sound messianic. I will fix everything. And yes, they may be able to accomplish something, but, but please, the only one who has all the answers is the Lord. And of all people, we should be ones who are, who understands, yes, there is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. And yes, this is increasing. And yes, it is a challenge. But yes, we've been given the anointing from God, not just to persevere, but to press on, be light and darkness, and, and see people coming to the kingdom of God. To do, the, to do Abba's work. Remember what Yeshua said in the Sermon on the Mount, in that day not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of the Father. And remember, when there's evil, God is able to do amazing things. 
And let me tell you that despite the axe murders and the shootings in Germany, I've been told that there's been a massive numbers of Muslims, Muslim refugees coming to faith in Yeshua in Germany. This is, by the way, on the heels of, of all kinds of other stories about Muslims in Saudi Arabia and Iran having visions of Yeshua. And if you remember, you were here several months ago. I showed a clip of a guy, a devout Muslim, having a vision of Yeshua in prison. God is able. He needs us as his hands and feet. But he first of all needs for us to be people of courage, to be people who have confidence in who the Lord is, to park there and remember to recognize the fact that yes, things will happen as things will happen. But we park on the basic reality of the sovereign of God, sovereignty of God, and that's how we want to live. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you know us. We are your sheep. We get easily scared and rattled and distracted and, and sometimes even confused. Thank you, Lord God, for the anointing that you give us, the power from your Ruach that enables us to stand strong, to be able to sift the lies from the truth, to be able to cleave, draw closer to you and reject the counterfeit and much more be prepared for the work of the kingdom that is so desperately needed this day and age. Lord God, we pray that we would welcome you to come in and drive away the fear, drive away the confusion, strengthen, Lord God, our conviction of who you are and cause us, Lord God, to be equipped men and women of God, prepared for every good work in this day of dark, increasing darkness. We ask this in Yeshua's name.